0: The Law School of America. Today's lesson will play, uninterrupted, right after a brief message from our sponsor. Today's lesson starts now. Fair use is a doctrine in the law of the United States that permits limited use of copyrighted material without having to first acquire permission from the copyright holder. Fair use is one of the limitations to copyright intended to balance the interests of copyright holders with the public interest in the wider distribution and use of creative works by allowing as a defense to copyright infringement claims certain limited uses that might otherwise be considered infringement. Like fair dealing rights that exist in most countries with a British legal history, the fair use right is a general exception that applies to all different kinds of uses with all types of works and turns on a flexible proportionality test that examines the purpose of the use the amount used, and the impact on the market of the original work. The doctrine of fair use originated in the Anglo-American common law during the 18th and 19th centuries as a way of preventing copyright law from being too rigidly applied and stifling the very creativity which law is designed to foster. Though originally a common law doctrine, it was enshrined in statutory law when the U.S. Congress passed the Copyright Act of 1976. The U.S. Supreme Court has issued several major decisions clarifying and reaffirming the Fair Use Doctrine since the 1980s, most recently in the 1994 decision Campbell v. A. Music Incorporated. History The 1710 Statute of Anne, an act of the Parliament of Great Britain, created copyright law to replace a system of private ordering enforced by the stationer's company. The Statute of Anne did not provide for legal unauthorized use of material protected by copyright. In Giles v. Wilcox, the Court of Chancery established the doctrine of fair abridgment, which permitted unauthorized abridgment of copyrighted works under certain circumstances. Over time, this doctrine evolved into the modern concepts of fair use and fair dealing. Fair use was a common law doctrine in the U.S. until it was incorporated into the Copyright Act of 1976. The term fair use originated in the United States. Although related, The limitations and exceptions to copyright for teaching and library archiving in the U.S. are located in a different section of the statute. A similar-sounding principle, fair dealing, exists in some other common law jurisdictions but in fact it is more similar in principle to the enumerated exceptions found under civil law systems. Civil law jurisdictions have other limitations and exceptions to copyright. In response to perceived overexpansion of copyrights, Several electronic civil liberties and free expression organizations began in the 1990s to add fair use cases to their dockets and concerns. These include the Electronic Frontier Foundation, EFF, the American Civil Liberties Union, the National Coalition Against Censorship, the American Library Association, numerous clinical programs at law schools, and others. The Chilling Effects Archive was established in 2002 as a coalition of several law school clinics and the EFF to document the use of cease and desist letters. In 2006 Stanford University began an initiative called the Fair Use Project, FUP, to help artists, particularly filmmakers, fight lawsuits brought against them by large corporations. U.S. Fair Use Factors Examples of fair use in United States copyright law include commentary, search engines, criticism, Parity, news reporting, research, and scholarship. Fair use provides for the legal, unlicensed citation or incorporation of copyrighted material in another author's work under a four-factor test. The U.S. Supreme Court has traditionally characterized fair use as an affirmative defense, but in Lens v. Universal Music Corporation, 2015, the Dancing Baby case, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit concluded that fair use was not merely a defense to an infringement claim but was an expressly authorized right, and an exception to the exclusive rights granted to the author of a creative work by copyright law, fair use is therefore distinct from affirmative defenses where a use infringes a copyright, but there is no liability due to a valid excuse, for example, misuse of a copyright. 17 U.S.C. Section 107 Notwithstanding the provisions of Sections 17 U.S.C. Section 106 and 17 U.S.C. Section 106a, the fair use of a copyrighted work including such use by reproduction in copies or phonorecords or by any other means specified by that section for purposes such as criticism comment news reporting teaching including multiple copies for classroom use scholarship or research is not an infringement of copyright in determining whether the use made of a work in any particular case is a fair use the factors to be considered shall include 1 the purpose and character of the use, including whether such use is of a commercial nature or is for non-profit educational purposes. 2. The nature of the copyrighted work. 3. The amount and substantiality of the portion used in relation to the copyrighted work as a whole, and 4. The effect of the use upon the potential market for or value of the copyrighted work the fact that a work is unpublished shall not itself bar a finding of fair use if such finding is made upon consideration of all the above factors. The four factors of analysis for fair use set forth above derive from the opinion of Joseph Story in Folsom v. Marsh, in which the defendant had copied 353 pages from the plaintiff's 12-volume biography of George Washington in order to produce a separate two-volume work of his own. The court rejected the defendant's fair use defense with the following explanation. A reviewer may fairly cite largely from the original work, if his design is really and truly to use the passages for the purposes of fair and reasonable criticism. On the other hand, it is as clear, that if he thus cites the most important parts of the work, with a view, not to criticize, but to supersede the use of the original work, and substitute the review for it, such a use will be deemed in law piracy. In short, we must often, look to the nature and objects of the selections made the quantity and value of the materials used, and the degree in which the use may prejudice the sale, or diminish the profits, or supersede the objects, of the original work. The statutory fair use factors quoted above come from the Copyright Act of 1976, which is codified at 17 U.S.C. Section 107. They were intended by Congress to restate, but not replace, the prior judge made law. As Judge Pierre N. Laval has written, The statute does not define or explain contours or objectives. While it leaves open the possibility that other factors may bear on the question, the statute identifies none. That is, courts are entitled to consider other factors in addition to the four statutory factors. 1. Purpose and Character of the Use The first factor is the purpose and character of the use, including whether such use is of a commercial nature or is for non-profit educational purposes. To justify the use as fair, One must demonstrate how it either advances knowledge or the progress of the arts through the addition of something new. In the 1841 copyright case Folsom v. Marsh, Justice Joseph Story wrote, Reviewer may fairly cite largely from the original work, if his design is really and truly to use the passages for the purposes of fair and reasonable criticism. On the other hand, it is as clear that if he thus cites the most important parts of the work, with a view not to criticize, but to supersede the use of the original work, and substitute the review for it, such a use will be deemed in law piracy. A key consideration in later fair use cases is the extent to which the use is transformative. In the 1994 decision Campbell v. A. Guffrose music incorporated, the U.S. Supreme Court held that when the purpose of the use is transformative, this makes the first factor more likely to favor fair use. Before the Campbell decision, Federal Judge Pierre Laval argued that transformativeness is central to the fair use analysis in his 1990 article, Toward a Fair Use Standard. Blanche v. Coons is another example of a fair use case that focused on transformativeness. In 2006, Jeff Coons used a photograph taken by commercial photographer Andrea Blanche in a collage painting. Coons appropriated a central portion of an advertisement she had been commissioned to shoot for a magazine. Coons prevailed in part because its use was found transformative under the first fair use factor. The Campbell case also addressed the sub-factor mentioned in the quotation above, whether such use is of a commercial nature or is for non-profit educational purposes. In an earlier case, Sony Corporation of America v. Universal City Studios Inc., the Supreme Court had stated that every commercial use of copyrighted material is presumptively unfair. In Campbell, The court clarified that this is not a hard evidentiary presumption and that even the tendency that commercial purpose will weigh against a finding of fair use, will vary with the context. The Campbell court held that hip-hop group 2 Live Crew's parody of the song Oh, Pretty Woman was fair use, even though the parody was sold for profit. Thus, having a commercial purpose does not preclude a use from being found fair, even though it makes it less likely. Likewise. The non-commercial purpose of a use makes it more likely to be found a fair use, but it does not make it a fair use automatically. For instance, in LA Times v. Free Republic, the court found that the non-commercial use of Los Angeles Times content by the Free Republic website was not fair use, since it allowed the public to obtain material at no cost that they would otherwise pay for. Richard's story similarly ruled in Code Revision Commission and State of Georgia vpublic.resource.org incorporated that despite the fact that it is a nonprofit and didn't sell the work, the service profited from its unauthorized publication of the official Code of Georgia annotated because of the attention, recognition, and contributions it received in association with the work. Another factor is whether the use fulfills any of the preamble purposes, also mentioned in the legislation above, as these have been interpreted as illustrative of transformative use. It is arguable, given the dominance of the rhetoric of the transformative in recent fair use determinations, that the first factor and transformativeness in general have become the most important parts of fair use. 2. Nature of the Copyrighted Work Although the Supreme Court has ruled that the availability of copyright protection should not depend on the artistic quality or merit of the work, fair use analyses consider certain aspects of the work to be relevant, such as whether it is fictional or non-fictional. To prevent the private ownership of work that rightfully belongs in the public domain, facts and ideas are not protected by copyright; only their particular expression or fixation merits such protection. On the other hand the social usefulness of freely available information can weigh against the appropriateness of copyright for certain fixations. The Zapruder film of the assassination of President Kennedy, for example, was purchased and copyrighted by Time magazine. Yet its copyright was not upheld, in the name of the public interest, when Time tried to enjoin the reproduction of stills from the film in a history book on the subject in Time Incorporated v. Bernard Gash Associates. In the decisions of the Second Circuit in Salinger v. Random House and in New Era Publications International v. Henry Holt and Company, the aspect of whether the copied work has been previously published was considered crucial, assuming the right of the original author to control the circumstances of the publication of his work or preference not to publish at all. However, Judge Pierre N. Laval views this importation of certain aspects of France's droit moral d'artiste, moral rights of the artist. Into American copyright law is bizarre and contradictory because it sometimes grants greater protection to works that were created for private purposes that have little to do with the public goals of copyright law, than to those works that copyright was initially conceived to protect. This is not to claim that unpublished works, or, more specifically, works not intended for publication, do not deserve legal protection, but that any such protection should come from laws about privacy, rather than laws about copyright. The statutory fair use provision was amended in response to these concerns by adding a final sentence The fact that a work is unpublished shall not itself bar a finding of fair use if such finding is made upon consideration of all the above factors. 3. Amount and Substantiality The third factor assesses the amount and substantiality of the copyrighted work that has been used. In general, the less that is used in relation to the whole, the more likely the use will be considered fair using most or all of a work does not bar a finding of fair use. It simply makes the third factor less favorable to the defendant. For instance, in Sony Corporation of America v Universal City Studios Inc. copying entire television programs for private viewing was upheld as fair use, at least when the copying is done for the purposes of time shifting. In Kelly v Ariba Soft Corporation The Ninth Circuit held that copying an entire photo to use as a thumbnail in online search results did not even weigh against fair use, if the secondary user only copies as much as is necessary for his or her intended use. However, even the use of a small percentage of a work can make the third factor unfavorable to the defendant, because the substantiality of the portion used is considered in addition to the amount used. For instance, in Harper & Roe v. Nation Enterprises, the U.S. Supreme Court held that a news article's quotation of fewer than 400 words from President Ford's 200,000-word memoir was sufficient to make the third fair use factor weigh against the defendants, because the portion taken was the heart of the work. This use was ultimately found not to be fair. 4. Effect upon Works Value The fourth factor measures the effect that the allegedly infringing use has had on the copyright owner's ability to exploit his original work. The court not only investigates whether the defendant's specific use of the work has significantly harmed the copyright owner's market, but also whether such uses in general, if widespread, would harm the potential market of the original. The burden of proof here rests on the copyright owner, who must demonstrate the impact of the infringement on commercial use of the work. For example, In Sony Corp v. Universal City Studios, the copyright owner, Universal, failed to provide any empirical evidence that the use of Betamax had either reduced their viewership or negatively impacted their business. In Harper & Row, the case regarding President Ford's memoirs, the Supreme Court labeled the fourth factor the single most important element of fair use and it has enjoyed some level of primacy in fair use analyses ever since. Yet the Supreme Court's more recent announcement in Campbell v. A. Guffro's Music Incorporated that all are to be explored, and the results weighed together, in light of the purposes of copyright has helped modulate this emphasis in interpretation. In evaluating the fourth factor, courts often consider two kinds of harm to the potential market for the original work. First, courts consider whether the use in question acts as a direct market substitute for the original work. In Campbell, The Supreme Court stated that when a commercial use amounts to mere duplication of the entirety of the original, it clearly supersedes the object of the original and serves as a market replacement for it, making it likely that cognizable market harm to the original will occur. In one instance, a court ruled that this factor weighed against a defendant who had made unauthorized movie trailers for video retailers, since his trailers acted as direct substitutes for the copyright owner's official trailers. Second, courts also consider whether potential market harm might exist beyond that of direct substitution, such as in the potential existence of a licensing market. This consideration has weighed against commercial copy shops that make copies of articles in course packs for college students, when a market already existed for the licensing of course pack copies. Courts recognize that certain kinds of market harm do not negate fair use, such as when a parody or negative review impairs the market of the original work. Copyright considerations may not shield a work against adverse criticism. Additional Factors As explained by Judge Laval, courts are permitted to include additional factors in their analysis. One such factor is acknowledgement of the copyrighted source. Giving the name of the photographer or author may help, but it does not automatically make a use fair. While plagiarism and copyright infringement are related matters, they are not identical. Plagiarism Using someone's words, ideas, images, etc., without acknowledgement, is a matter of professional ethics, while copyright is a matter of law, and protects exact expression, not ideas. One can plagiarize even a work that is not protected by copyright, for example by passing off a line from Shakespeare as one's own. Conversely, attribution prevents accusations of plagiarism, but it does not prevent infringement of copyright. For example, reprinting a copyrighted book without permission, while citing the original author, would be copyright infringement but not plagiarism. U.S. Fair Use Procedure and Practice The U.S. Supreme Court described fair use as an affirmative defense in Campbell v. A. Cuffro's Music Inc. this means that in litigation on copyright infringement, the defendant bears the burden of raising and proving that the use was fair and not an infringement. Thus, Fair use need not even be raised as a defense unless the plaintiff first shows, or the defendant concedes, a prima facie case of copyright infringement. If the work was not copyrightable, the term had expired, or the defendant's work borrowed only a small amount, for instance, then the plaintiff cannot make out a prima facie case of infringement, and the defendant need not even raise the fair use defense. In addition, fair use is only one of many limitations, exceptions, and defenses to copyright infringement. Thus, a prima facie case can be defeated without relying on fair use. For instance, the Audio Home Recording Act establishes that it is legal, using certain technologies, to make copies of audio recordings for non-commercial personal use. Some copyright owners claim infringement even in circumstances where the fair use defense would likely succeed, in hopes that the user will refrain from the use rather than spending resources in their defense. Strategic Lawsuit Against Public Participation, SLAP. Cases that allege copyright infringement, patent infringement, defamation, or libel may come into conflict with the defendant's right to freedom of speech, and that possibility has prompted some jurisdictions to pass anti slap legislation that raises the plaintiff's burdens and risk. Although fair use ostensibly permits certain uses without liability, many content creators and publishers try to avoid a potential court battle by seeking a legally unnecessary license from copyright owners for any use of non public domain material. Even in situations where a fair use defense would likely succeed. The simple reason is that the license terms negotiated with the copyright owner may be much less expensive than defending against a copyright suit, or having the mere possibility of a lawsuit threaten the publication of a work in which a publisher has invested significant resources. Fair use rights take precedence over the author's interest. Thus, the copyright holder cannot use a non binding disclaimer, or notification, to revoke the right of fair use on works. However, binding agreements such as contracts or license agreements may take precedence over fair use rights. The practical effect of the fair use doctrine is that a number of conventional uses of copyrighted works are not considered infringing. For instance, quoting from a copyrighted work in order to criticize or comment upon it or teach students about it, is considered a fair use. Certain well-established uses cause few problems. A teacher who prints a few copies of a poem to illustrate a technique will have no problem on all four of the above factors, except possibly on amount and substantiality, but some cases are not so clear. All the factors are considered and balanced in each case, a book reviewer who quotes a paragraph as an example of the author's style will probably fall under fair use even though they may sell their review commercially. But a non-profit educational website that reproduces whole articles from technical magazines will probably be found to infringe if the publisher can demonstrate that the website affects the market for the magazine, even though the website itself is non-commercial. Fair use is decided on a case-by-case basis, on the entirety of circumstances. The same act done by different means or for a different purpose can gain or lose fair use status. Even repeating an identical act at a different time can make a difference due to changing social technological, or other surrounding circumstances. Now a word from our sponsor, the Law School of America. This has been a Creative Commons licensed podcast. The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America